Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36 will be our uh, Bible reading this morning. Luke 9, 28 through 36. And I would invite you to stand one last time here for the reading of God's Word. Luke 9, 28 through 36. This is the word of the Lord. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Let us pray. Our Father, now as we give our attention to the word of the Lord here in Luke 9, I pray that your spirit would come and your spirit would open our eyes so that we might see your glory revealed in Jesus in these words. Father, help us to look to him and to listen to him. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Uh, A few years ago, I believe it was uh, the first few months, actually, that we were uh, here in Stanton, uh, I read the book Flight 232, which was about the horrible crash of United Airlines Flight 232 at the Sioux City Airport on July 19th, 1989. Uh, Amazingly, 185 people survived that crash. And sadly, 111 people did not. Uh, The extremity of that crash made for a huge rescue and recovery operation. And I read in that book about the many people who were involved with with helping to care for survivors as well as those tasked with the very difficult job of caring for the remains of those who perished. The book tells much of the remarkable story Uh, of that, and I was very moved uh, in reading it. Well, not long after I read the book, I was with an old friend of mine from uh, the church I used to serve in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, uh, Roger is his name, and it was easy for me um, when I moved down to Des Moines to become friends with Roger. He has an outgoing personality. He has a great sense of humor, and we shared several common interests. Uh, We spent a lot of time together in my years down in Des Moines, and uh, especially 
during the last seven months of my time there, for I needed a place to stay during those months, and he and his wife allowed me to live in their basement. So here I was, I was talking with him about uh, the crash of Flight 232 that I had been reading about and sharing with him all the fascinating things that I'd learned from the book that I had just read, especially about all that was involved in the response to the crash. And my friend Roger tells me, oh yeah, I was there. And he began to tell me about his experience of serving as one of the morticians who were called in to help to care for the bodies of those who had died in a crash. Now you see, I, I, I knew that my friend was a trained mortician and, and, and had worked as one for a few years, but I had no idea that he had any connection with this huge event. I had no idea that when I was reading that book, when it described all of the people who were involved in the response to the crash, that I was actually reading about him, my good friend, who was a groomsman in my wedding, was one of the ones being described as caring for um, the dead. You know, sometimes you, you don't know people as well as you think you do. Sometimes you think you know someone, but then you are very surprised to find out something that you never expected was true of them. I, I experienced that in a small way with my friend Roger, but the three disciples here in our passage discover something about Jesus that they may have suspected, but definitely did not fully know about him. And Jesus is not yet done surprising them in this gospel. Now, as might be true of many of us, they did not know Jesus as well as they may have thought they did. So as we look at this passage this morning, the main theme that we are to see here is that knowing Jesus is to recognize him as the glorious Son of God, sent to forever redeem and reign over his people. This passage, of course, is known as the Transfiguration. That's the heading that the uh, ESV uh, gives over this paragraph, uh, even though Luke doesn't use that word transfigure uh, in his account, uh, as Matthew and Mark do. It's when the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, was revealed to these three disciples, and it really is quite a significant passage in the Gospels. There are many direct connections with the Old Testament in this passage, and each of them helps us to understand what's really going on here and the point Luke is trying to make for us, that is, for his readers, about who Jesus is and how we ought to respond to him. So we're going to focus our attention on the most significant of those Old Testament references here in this passage, and then we'll close with a few uh, main applications for us. So there's four headings uh, on the outlines that are provided in your, in your, in your uh, bulletins, which point to these Old Testament references here in this passage. Let's look first at verses 28 through 32. The heading I put over these verses is, Glory on the mountain. Glory on the mountain. So Luke tells us, that it was about eight days after these sayings when Jesus took Peter, John, 
and James up on the mountain. Uh, this lets us know that Luke wants us to see the connection between what is about to happen to what he had just reported before. He had just written about how Jesus had asked his disciples who the crowd said that he was and then who they said he was. Of course, Peter had uh, uh, spoken up for all of the disciples when he said that Jesus was the Christ of God. And immediately after that, Jesus, for the first time, told them that the Christ must suffer many things and be killed and will rise on the, on the third day. He then began to describe for them the cost of those who will follow him. That they must take up their cross and follow him, but if they do, they will ultimately gain eternal life when the Son of Man returns in his glory. He then makes this statement in verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now we have heard before uh, that the kingdom of God in Luke basically means the, the reign of God. or The revelation of the reign of God, or as we will see in this passage, on Jesus' glory revealed, that is the revelation of God's king. So as these disciples are climbing up this mountain with Jesus... Luke wants us to remember that what is about to happen is connected with all that Jesus has just been talking about before. We're given a clue that what is about to happen will be significant because, once again, Luke tells us Jesus is praying. Look at verses 28 and 29. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, so we have seen and we will continue to see that in the Gospel of Luke, whenever we see Jesus praying, something very significant is about to take place. In Luke 9, it was Jesus beginning to reveal what his mission was in verses 21 and 22. And here we are shown, after he prays, this glorious revelation of Jesus as, div as God's divine son, as the chosen one, as his glory is revealed to his disciples. So listen again as Luke describes this scene for us, starting with verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when, they, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. For all the days since Peter, James, and John first met Jesus, his appearance did not set him apart as anything special. He looked like them. It wasn't his appearance that attracted the disciples to him, it was his words. What he said with authority and his actions, what they saw him do, that is what drew his disciples to follow him. But here on the mountain, all of a sudden, his appearance is altered, it says. His clothing and his face become dazzling white, as bright as a flash of lightning kind of what it literally means. 
But this isn't just a momentary flash. This is a brightness that is emanating from Jesus that remains. His glory, which had been hidden up until this time, is now being revealed. They saw his glory, Luke tells us. We might question whether or not it's worth it to take up our cross and follow Jesus as the passage before told us. But the three disciples were shown here that this is who they are following when they do that. This glorious, blazing, bright, awesome ruler of the whole universe. That's who they're following. That's who Jesus is. Now this should remind us of a couple of other times in in the Old Testament when a servant of the Lord met with God or witnessed the glory of God revealed to them on a mountain. So let's note again, who the two men were whom the disciples see Jesus talking with here, Moses and Elijah. Well, back in Exodus 33, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, meeting with God there, Moses makes this request in verse 18. He says, please show me your glory. And so we find the Lord revealing himself to Moses in a special way, by by shielding Moses in a cleft of the rock and then descending in a glory cloud and placing his hand over Moses until God passed by him. And then God says there, I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Thus the Lord revealed his glory to Moses on the mountain. And then in 1 Kings 19, we read about another time when the Lord appeared before one of his servants on the same mountain. This time it was the prophet Elijah, whom God met with and revealed himself to uh, through that sound of the whisper, if you remember that passage. And God spoke to him through that whisper of what he wanted him to do next. So now here we are in Luke 9. Once again, we have another significant revelation of God before his servants on a mountain. In fact, Luke tells us that it is the mountain in verse 28. Look there again. Uh, Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. This isn't just any mountain. Luke doesn't tell us the name of the mountain. In fact, The other gospel writers don't tell us which mountain it is either, but Luke calls it the mountain. He assumes his readers know the mountain he is referring to. Which mountain is it? Well, the mountain. I think Luke is trying to tell us that this is the same mountain where Moses and Elijah met with God. Luke is making a connection here with these significant revelations of God and the men who witnessed them. Jesus doesn't just see God's glory On the mountain, he is God himself revealing his glory on the mountain. The disciples don't just witness God's glory revealed, they witness the glory of the Son of God revealed while he is speaking with these two great servants who were privileged enough to meet with God before on this mountain, Moses and Elijah. We are being shown that we are not to just think of Jesus as another prophet like Moses and Elijah, no, no. He is far greater than Moses and Elijah. He is not just someone who saw God's glory. No, no, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell within him. 
as Peter later shares in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. For we were with him, Peter says, on the mountain. Next, verses 30 through 31, we see a new exodus, a new exodus. Look at these verses. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Luke uses a very interesting word here in verse 31 to describe the subject of the conversation that Jesus was having with Moses and Elijah. It's translated in the ESV here as his departure. But if you look closely, your, your, your Bible translation should have a footnote regarding this word here. And in the footnote, it should tell you that in the original Greek, the word that's used here is the Greek word exodus. That is, they spoke of his exodus. And it should be a familiar word to you if you know your Bibles, for it's the title of the second book of the Bible, very significant book of the Bible. It refers to when God sent Moses into Egypt to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and lead them into the land of promise. For Israel, the exodus was the foundational event in their formation as God's people. It was the supreme example of God's salvation, his redemption of them, rescuing them from the taskmasters in Egypt and delivering them into freedom and safety under his covenant that he made with them. And here on the mountain, Moses and Elijah are talking about the Exodus with Jesus. But it's not the Exodus that Moses was involved in. It is his exodus. It is the exodus that Jesus is about to accomplish. It is his death and resurrection through which Jesus will accomplish God's great plan of redemption for his people. For God's people were no longer enslaved to Pharaoh, but they were enslaved to their sin. They were not in danger of being condemned by the wicked king of Egypt. They were under the condemnation of Almighty God for their unbelief. And so as God sent Moses into Egypt, he was now sending his son Jesus into the world to deliver his people from their sin. As God's people throughout the Old Testament look back on the exodus from Egypt to remember God's love and deliverance, so now Christians, we look back to the crucifixion and the resurrection in order to be reminded of the salvation that we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. So here on the mountain, Jesus was revealed in all his glorious splendor, but yet the focus of the conversation was on the great suffering that he would have to endure before he would be fully revealed in glory to the world. When he was beaten and nailed on that, on that cross, it was hard to imagine that it was the same man that the disciples were seeing glowing with the dazzling bright light of heavenly glory here 
on the mountain in our passage. On the cross, rather than being clothed in glorious splendor, his, his bloodied clothes would be torn off of him and divided among wicked men. Here on the mountain, he was standing in the middle of, of two great saints, Moses and Elijah. On the cross, he would hang between two criminals. Here on the mountain, he's covered in the brightness of heavenly glory. There on Calvary, he will be in the utter darkness of God's judgment on sin. On the mountain here, Jesus' glory was witnessed by three disciples. Three disciples who were in awe of him and hung on his every word. But on Calvary, his crucifixion will be witnessed by scoffers and haters who will taunt and scorn him. But through the cross, through this great suffering, Jesus will forever lead his people out of bondage from sin and into the protection of a new covenant relationship with God through him, which will last forever and ever. So today we are meant to consider that suffering, to think back about this new exodus and ask ourselves, am I a part of it? Am I among those whom the great deliverer, Jesus, has redeemed out of slavery to sin? Have, have I been saved from the just condemnation for my sin by turning away from it and following my redeemer, Jesus, out of the darkness and into the light of new life through my faith in him? Am I a part of the great number whom Jesus is, is leading through the wilderness of this world into the promised land of his eternal kingdom? Is his exodus your exodus? Next, verses 33 through 34, we see a new tent. A new tent. Look at verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. In verse 33, we see that when Moses and Elijah were leaving and returning back to heaven, Peter spoke up. What he says seems a bit strange and, and, and maybe, you know, uh, you have read and studied this, uh, have, and you have understood Peter's statement here to be kind of a, a foolish one, uh, kind of like, you know, when we really feel like we need to say something, but we have no clue what we should say or what's right to say, but, but yet, you know, rather than keeping our mouths shut, we open them up and we spout off the first thing that's on our mind, even if it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I, I don't think that's really what's going on here. A, a couple of Bible scholars uh, I read, uh, agreed, uh, one put it this way. He said, Luke does not say Peter did not know what to say, but that he did not know what he was saying. That is to say, there was more truth to what Peter was saying than even he understood. And so we have another connection with something significant in the redemptive history of the people of God re represented here, again, with a comment about the tense, you know, everything in the Bible is necessary. It means something. 
And I think if this didn't mean anything, if this was just a, you know, offhanded comment that didn't mean anything, it would not have been included. But, but here it is. So what does it mean? Going back to the, to the book of, of Exodus again, in chapter 40, we have Moses and the people of God assembling the tabernacle, or a tent, which was elaborately constructed because it would be the place where God would meet and dwell with his people while they were in the wilderness. It was also known as the tent of meeting. And in Exodus 4, 34 through, through 35, we read, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So you, you can see the connections that our passage on the transfiguration has with that passage. The glory of God, the cloud, and the tent. It seems Peter wanted to have a similar experience on that mountain he wanted to, to set up three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, so, so that like God's glory in the tabernacle, their glory could dwell there in those tents, and he and the other disciples could meet with them as Moses met with God in the tent of meeting. Peter was longing for the glory of God to remain, and he thought, you know, just like in the Exodus, tents were needed to ensure the glory of God would remain with them. But tents were not required for God's presence to remain with them. For God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, was present with them. And he would forever be with them by his spirit. In the person of Jesus, John's gospel tells us, God's glory was revealed to them, to the disciples, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, which is the same Greek word for tent or tabernacle, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with God himself. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus has ensured that we will always be with him. That he will never leave nor forsake all those people who put their hope in him and follow him by faith. Lastly, we'll see a not-so-new command. This is from verses 35 and 36. Not-so-new command. So now just as, uh, just so Peter, James, and John didn't miss the point of all of this that's happening here on the mountain. God the Father comes down in the glory cloud and speaks to them. What he says is the main point of this passage and basically the main point of the whole Bible itself. Here God the Father provides a definitive answer to that question that many had been asking leading up to this point in Luke's gospel regarding Jesus. That question, of course, was, who is this? Who is this? Who is this man? All of the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus as the one who is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all of God's promises of salvation for his people. He is the Savior King of God's people. And, and, and here... God the Father proclaims that to be the case. Look, 
verse 35 and 36. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now Moses was a pretty impressive figure for God's people. He was honored above all the prophets and was regarded as the most authoritative, for he delivered God's law to his people and was the author of the first five books of the Bible. Elijah also was highly honored as the prophet of God who stood up to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, the one who challenged the wicked king Ahab and his even more wicked queen Jezebel. Elijah was the one who didn't die but was taken up into heaven by that chariot of fire. He is the one whom the prophet Malachi at the end of the Old Testament scriptures prophesied would be sent by God back to his people before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it says he will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the hearts of children back to their fathers. And, and here they both were. Here they are. On the mountain, the great Moses, the great Elijah, appearing before the disciples, and it seems the disciples recognized who they were. But God the Father wants to make it clear Although they were impressive men, Jesus is far greater. Jesus is far greater. Although it is, of course, good and wise for them to listen to the words of Moses and Elijah, it is far more important for them to listen to the words of Jesus. Moses and Elijah were not the unique son of God. They were not his chosen one. Only Jesus is. Therefore, God says, listen to him. Which again, points us back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 18, 15. Where there, Moses prophesied that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so here God, the Father, reveals Jesus as that prophet. He is that one that Moses spoke of. Therefore, listen to him. Now, let's consider a few applications from this very important word of God here about Jesus. First, have you recognized Jesus to be the chosen one of God? the only one whom God has sent to save you from your sin and your guilt before God? Do you recognize him as the sovereign, supreme Lord and King? Does he reign over your life? Does he reign in your heart? Or are you still occupying that throne in your heart? Are you the one who still calls the shots rather than looking to Jesus? Do you know this Jesus who is revealed to us here in the scriptures or is he a stranger to you? I would encourage you, get to know him. Read this gospel. 
Ask God to, to reveal the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ to you as you read, and he will open your eyes. He will open your eyes to see and know him. Maybe you don't know Jesus as well as you think you do. And secondly, are you listening to him? Are you doing what he says? In your life right now, is there any way that you have been resisting this call to listen to him? We, we are all hearing voices in our culture right now all around us. There are advisors and counselors and authority figures who are clamoring for our attention, trying to convince us of the way we are to live and what we are to think and believe. The world offers us ever-changing opinions about what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is true and false. How are we to know which is which? How are we to know the right way to go? We're given some pretty clear guidance here in Luke 9, 35. Listen to Jesus. That doesn't mean don't just listen to his words in the Gospels. The whole scriptures are his word. His words, they may be challenging, but they are the words of, of eternal life. And they are the only words which we can trust will never lead us astray. So get to know him and listen to and obey his words. That is, read your Bibles. And be doers of the word and not hearers only. And finally, in, in our current situation here in the world right now, it, it, where it seems like lawlessness is rising and, and not being stopped, where governments are being controlled more and more by identity politics rather than by the Constitution, where, where those in leadership are grasping for more and more power to control our lives and control our freedoms and where God's people and God's ways are being more and more marginalized and scorned. We need to remember one day, this Jesus, this Jesus will stand upon the earth in all his glory shining in the dazzling brightness of 10 million suns, and everyone will see him. Everyone. And they will all be judged by whether or not they took his words seriously. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So remember that. Remember that as you hear the news this week. One day, all the earthly authorities will fall and all the voices will be silenced and only one will remain. Only one. As we read earlier, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we 
come before you humbled by your word and recognizing our need to listen to Jesus. So Father, help us. Help us to see Jesus as he's revealed here, to know him and to adjust and have our lives shaped by his word. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.